Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. First, Bible says in Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, we, we know by reading this passage that the gospel is the power of God. Because that's what it says. But if we were to draw the lens back a little bit more, which is what we're going to do tonight, the gospel really is God's promise to man that it would be the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is a promise. And that promise, we get how the gospel is defined as we open the scriptures and we see Jesus Christ. And we understand by this verse and others that we'll look at, um, we understand the essential elements of the gospel. It's by grace, it's through faith, it's the power of God, it's of Christ. We understand those essential elements of the gospel. But it ultimately, if we were to call it one thing, we could say that it is God's promise. It's a promise given by God, and he keeps his promise. And it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. We've got to understand it as a promise, and we offer it as a promise. God promised that if you would believe what he said, he would save you, and God doesn't lie. He keeps his promise. In 1 Corinthians 15, you don't have to turn there, uh, but we see that the gospel is preached. Paul talks about that. He talks about that it's a saving gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and raised. Uh, he rose again according to the scriptures. You don't know where to go to, so, to show somebody uh, the essential elements of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great chapter to go to. We see the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if someone's not preaching that, we would say they weren't, they weren't preaching what? The gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an essential element. But God promised to send his son to live, to die, and to, to rise again. It's ultimately, if we step back, a promise given to man by God. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul goes on to say under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to do what? Preach the gospel. We know another essential element of the gospel is it's not water baptism. Why? Because Paul said, I didn't come to preach baptism. I came to preach the gospel. And he goes on to say, not with wisdom of words. We know one of the essential elements of the gospel is 
It's not through man's wisdom and through man's words. Self-help gurus, the latest and greatest uh, humanitarian, uh, those that are trying to save man through humanity, all of that. All of it is just wisdom of words. We know it's not water baptism. We know it's not through wisdom of words. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is what? What did Romans 1 say? The same thing 1 Corinthians 1 says. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. There's power in the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God and the salvation. It's, it's the most powerful thing that can be preached. The most powerful thing that can be talked about to a lost person. And we get to do that. Why get lost in a forest of trails? When you've got the most exciting and essential and powerful thing you can talk to a lost person, that's the gospel. My family likes to make chocolate chip cookies. And, uh, you know, if, if they make a batch of chocolate chip cookies, you know, if you were to ask them, um, well, what's, uh, what, what, what's in the, what are chocolate chip cookies? They wouldn't answer, well, it's it's just a, a bunch of chocolate chips. Even though chocolate chips are the main ingredient, there are other essential ingredients as well that make up the chocolate chip cookie. And depending on what you put in there, it comes out and it tastes yummy, but ultimately... You can't say a chocolate chip cookie is just, well, it's just a bunch of chocolate chips. No, that's an essential element. But ultimately, it's a dessert, right? Now, I'm not trying to compare the gospel to chocolate chip cookies. That would be uh, foolish. But I'm using that analogy to show you, just like the gospel is a promise and there's essential elements to it, the same way a chocolate chip cookie, it's a dessert. Yeah, and there's some essential ingredients to it. But we can't get away from the fact that the gospel is a promise from God. And too many times we lose sight of this because we try to only define it by its ingredients. Go to 2 Timothy 1. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Or you get life through the gospel. Verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now watch, if you go back to the first verse, watch the promise. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the what? Promise of what? Life. Which is where? In Christ Jesus. What did Christ Jesus do in verse number 10? 
abolished death, brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. You have essential elements of the gospel. We can't get away from that. We teach that. We talk about that. We preach it. It's all through the scripture. But tonight's purpose of this message is to draw the lens back and see it ultimately as a promise from God to man. The gospel of Christ, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. If you go to John chapter 5, I want to show you. We'll look at this together. John chapter number 5, look at verse number 39. Jesus says here. In John chapter 5, verse number 39, he says, search the scriptures. The Bereans were considered more noble because they actually did that. You and I should do the same. Search the scriptures. And then Jesus says, for for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. It's a bit confusing at a first read because Jesus is saying, hey, search the scriptures. And then he's saying. For in them, you think you have eternal life. What's he trying to say? Jesus is drawing a line and he's separating himself from the scriptures. He's saying. Uh, In verse number 40, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Are the scriptures the pure words of God? Yes. Should the scriptures be studied? Should the scriptures be searched? Should the scriptures be believed? Yes, they should. They're 100% truthful, and you can find the gospel all throughout the scriptures. It's all there. It's where we find the promise from God to man in the scriptures. But Jesus says, and you will not come to me that you might have life. He makes a distinguishing mark between. Okay, let, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever met people that know the Bible and seemingly know how to get the passages quicker than you can? They've searched the scriptures. But the more the conversation goes on, you realize they have not come to Jesus Christ for salvation. The low hanging fruit, an obvious one, would be Jehovah's Witness. If they ever came knocking on your door with that watchtower, they have searched the scriptures. They know where to go in the scriptures. Matter of fact, they can tie up a lot of so-called Baptists because Baptists haven't searched their scriptures as much as they should. We can't hang our hat on, well, I'm a Baptist. You better know the scriptures. 
You and I better be, be Bible believers, Bible searchers, scripture readers. Why? Because if someone is in the scriptures and they take you somewhere, we better have a working knowledge of what that passage means. But people search the scriptures, but they haven't come to Christ. So that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Great, read them. But you're not going to find eternal life by searching the scriptures. You're going to find eternal life by believing the promise that I gave to you, which is that if you repent and believe the gospel, you will be saved. Everybody see that? It's not don't search the scriptures. It's you better come to Christ. Jesus is saying you better come to me if you want to have eternal life. Now, can you figure that out, that you need to do that by reading the scriptures? Yes, you can. But salvation isn't just a mental assent to a doctrinal creed. We've all heard that before. Well, that's true. And verse 40 gives us the promise. You see it? And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. The promise is, Jesus says, look, I promise you, if you come to me, you will have eternal life. And Acts 20, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but it says to testify the gospel of the grace of God. We have a gospel of grace. In Galatians 1, it says, I marvel you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. You have the grace of God. You have the grace of Christ. Someone moves away from a gospel by grace. They've moved into another gospel and they were accursed. Anybody that would tell you that water baptism is the gospel, they're a curse. I'm not happy about that any more than you are. You can cherry pick three verses out of the Bible. That doesn't mean you're right. That means you can, you're good at cherry picking. The gospel is by God's grace. But. There still is an ingredient as well called faith. And we can't make faith insignificant. It's by grace through faith. Both of those ingredients and elements are there. You wouldn't just uh, give somebody the recipe for your chocolate chip cookies and say, here's my chocolate chip cookies. No, they would hand that back to you and say, what are you talking about? That's a piece of paper with a recipe. It's not the dessert. It's not the cookies. A lot of times this happens when people try to define the gospel. They might give some recipes. They might get some ingredients. We're trying to draw the lens back and ultimately see that we need to give people what God's promise is to them. That promise is the gospel. The gospel is a promise from God. Titus 1. Titus 1. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, what did he do? 
promised before the world began. The only hope of salvation is found in the promise that God made. And a holy God that cannot lie made a promise to sinful man. The only one that can fulfill that promise is God. And he promised that if you would repent and believe the gospel, you would be saved. Not because you made a decision, but because God keeps his promise. Because if you repented and you believed the gospel, but God didn't keep his promise, you would drop into hell. But God doesn't lie. God keeps his promise. It's dependent on God keeping his promise. It is not dependent on man's decision. It's dependent on God's promise that he wouldn't lie and he would keep his promise. God saves by his grace. You receive him by faith. Um, People, we say things, Jesus is Lord. The true saying, we say that uh, Jesus is God, and, and those are true sayings. And but that does not mean we're preaching the gospel when we make truth statements. Why? Because James two nineteen says, "Thou believest that there is one God." Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So we need to be careful that we're just not dropping truth bombs on people and thinking that we're giving them the gospel. We need to preach truth to them, but Jesus is trying to help us out because in James, the Holy Spirit gives us a truth bomb that says, you got to remember. The devils believe as well, and they tremble. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, look at verse number 3. He's writing to the Corinthian believers. Look at verse 2. No, you're not. You were Gentile. Carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. What is this about? No man can say that Jesus is Lord. Well, anybody can say those words verbally. You can say those physical words. But unless you are brought under the influence of the Holy Spirit, then all you would be doing is saying verbal words, and you would just physically be saying those words. They wouldn't have any power. It needs to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
And the point of this is we're not asking people to believe facts. This is what this James verse and this verse here is talking about. It's not just mental assent. Okay, we're just gathering facts about the scriptures and about Jesus. It's more than that. We're not selling people on a proposition. We're not strong arming people to acknowledge that Jesus was real. It's God's promise that he would save whosoever would believe. It's God's promise. That's why it's good news. Almost every single religious cult or sect would agree that Jesus was a real person. Didn't Nicodemus believe Jesus was a real person? I mean, he's standing there right with them. He knew him as a rabbi, knew him as a teacher, knew him as a master. It's not facts about the reality of Jesus. That's not the gospel. That's true, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is a promise. Go to Romans 1. Bible says in verse number one, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Here it is. Which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. We should search the scriptures. We should see what the prophets had to say. Moses, he called uh, uh, Jesus, was referred to as a prophet like unto himself. David referred to him as the anointed. Isaiah, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, man of sorrows, Isaiah says. Jeremiah calls him the Lord, our righteousness. Ezekiel, the shepherd king. Daniel calls him Messiah, the prince. Micah, he's, he's called the judge of Israel. Haggai, he's considered the desire of all nations. Zechariah, he's the pierced one. Malachi, he's called the son of righteousness. The prophets, Jesus is all through the scriptures, all through what the prophets said. You search the scriptures, you'll find out God's promise. And that's what the gospel is. It's a promise. Go to Romans 4. Look at verse number 13. Bible says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Look at verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace essential elements. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It's that believing seed. God made a promise to a believing seed. If you believe, 
Here's my promise to you. You believe that I am. You believe that I am the son of God. You believe that I came and died and was buried and three days and three nights rose again. You put all your faith and trust in me. You repent and you believe the gospel. Guess what? God's got a promise for you. He'll give you eternal life. That's what we preach. Go to 2 Corinthians 6. Bible says in verse number 17, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. A lot of the carnal, carnival Christian, carna, carnival Christianity today doesn't believe in separation. They believe that, well, we just look at what the world does and we just bring it into our church and we can attract more people. They're not really concerned with separating. But God says, be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. Be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's a promise. I will receive you. You be separate. I will receive you. Look at verse 7, or chapter 7, rather, the first verse. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God promises mankind some things. And this is an excellent verse to look at. Come out from among them, be separate. God said, look. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Look at Ephesians 1. And look at the 13th verse. Ephesians 1, 13. In whom you also trusted. Uh, well, verse 12, you first trusted in Christ. Verse 13, in whom you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believe. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, the redemption, the purchased possession. On the praise of his glory. God promised through the gospel that he would give you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit would seal you until the redemption of the purchased possession. Do you believe that? God sent you something that's not going to leave you and forsake you. And that's all part. Of the promise of the gospel. Uh, go to Titus. Chapter. One. Titus. Titus chapter one. 
recap verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie did what? Promise before the world began. A few more before we start to close out. Look at 2 Peter. It's a promise. 2 Peter. Chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one, look at verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious what promise that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Go to chapter number three, second Peter three, look at verse number nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You get so many benefits from the promise of the gospel. You can't exhaust them. We certainly can't do it in a 40-minute sermon tonight. But the gospel is a promise. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter number 2. Look at verse number 25. And this is the promise that he hath promised us. There it is. Two, pro two words, promises in one verse. Even eternal life. God promised eternal life through the gospel. It's a promise. The gospel is a promise from God. It's not about rattling off facts. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. Praise the Lord. We teach it and we preach it. Jesus is Lord. Praise, praise God. He is. Jesus said in him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father but by him. Yes, preach it. All that. Great. But it's not just about rattling those facts. We've got to give people what the promise of God is. You can't leave them hanging with just facts. Give them what the promise of the gospel is. It's not just about declaring truth about Jesus. It's not just about preaching emotionally driven sermons about the sufferings of Christ. Do we do those things? Yes. It's not just that. Though. We've got to additionally give them what God promised. Or they're just going to be left dead in their sin. You've got to offer the gospel as a promise of God's good news to man. And that promise is based on an invitation to repent and believe the gospel. The gospel in itself is an invitation when preached scripturally. It's a promise of God. Marriage It's the promise that makes the marriage special. It isn't that the bride and the groom both just say, I love you. That's not what makes the marriage special. Really, that's not that big of a deal. The big deal is... The marriage is saying, 
the bride and the groom are both saying, I am committed to loving you. It's the commitment of the love, not I love you, I love. It's not the words. It is the commitment made. It's marriage is a promise to remain committed. That's what makes it special. God made a promise and he remains committed to that promise. John 3.16, the beautiful verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can take that promise, you can believe it, and you can be saved. God is committed to loving you as a sinner. There are some that take the gospel and they compartmentalize it in some ways. And I'm sure I've done this at times. I'm trying to help myself out and you out. Their trust is in their election. In other words, well, I am in Christ, so I am in the elect. I am elect. But I say they put their trust in the fact that they're elect, meaning that instead of God has saved them, and now because he has saved them, now he will cause them to believe. In other words, it's a done for you already uh, already. For you right here, salvation. It's passive sinners overcome by the powerful force of God's grace. And now, since you were overcome by the powerful force of God's grace, you're saved. You don't know it yet, but now you believe. This type of theology takes two phrases that are in contradiction. On one hand, they say, God invites sinners to respond to the gospel. But on the other hand, they'll say things like, God does not really want all to be saved because he didn't come to save all. It's either one or the other. You can't, you can't make both of those statements and have them both be true. You've got to present the promise of God so that the hearer of that promise knows that it is personally for them. You've got to be able to do that. You can't say God loves, but God might not love you. You can't take God's promise that says, look, I have made a way. I have promised if you repent and believe. I will save you. That invitation, if you take that away and redefine it, now we've got a different way. You've, you've got a presentation of the gospel that's skewed. It's a promise. Last verse we'll look at, we'll close. And I hope this will tie up this thought. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
It's not if God saved you, he will cause you to believe. You, you see that? It's God made a promise to man. And that promise is, if you repent and believe the gospel, I will save you. Man is invited to respond. His response doesn't save him. Man is given the promise and offered the promise of God. His decision doesn't save him. God doesn't lie and he keeps his promise. And that's why when you believe, he keeps his promise. When you believe, he keeps his promise. When you repent and believe, he keeps his promise. That's the gospel. Second Corinthians 5, closed out here on these verses. 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and had given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's seed, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You have an opportunity as an ambassador to declare God's promise. To share God's love. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You have the authority as an ambassador of Christ to beg men and women who are sinners to repent and believe. You have been given that opportunity and that power through God to be used as an ambassador. And we can be confident as ambassadors because God keeps his promise. He's reconciled us toward the world through Christ and he has made that promise known to the world. And here's the foundation of an all loving God. Foundationally his promises that he will grant full pardon he will pay for your sins. He has paid for your sins in full. And anyone who would exercise repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen? God's going to keep his promise and he's going to save that man or that woman. And that's what we preach as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to play in this part of reconciliation, uh, reconciling sinners. And it's a beautiful thing. The gospel's a promise. Thank you, God.
Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.